Chris. Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 120. Speak and Destroy is the first podcast to feature interviews about Metallica, and I am your host, Ryan J. Downey. My guest this episode is Corey Taylor, frontman for the multi-platinum metal act Slipknot, as well as Stone Sour, a solo artist, recently the owner of the famous Monsters of Filmland brand, and one of the founders of Knotfest. This is a conversation that I had with Corey a couple years ago, actually, on the occasion of the 30th anniversary of the Black Album and Corey's participation in the Metallica Blacklist album. The video version of this exists on the Knotfest YouTube channel, and I highly recommend you check that out. But I wanted to give the Speak and Destroy podcast listeners an opportunity to hear this conversation as well, because it is great. Believe it or not, it was actually the first time that I had ever interviewed Corey. I'd met him socially a couple of times. Never really got to talk to him at any length. This was a fantastic conversation. We were born the same year. We're both from the Midwest. I brought that up right away. (laughs) And uh, we just went from there. I mean, we talked about being Generation X, Midwest work ethic, the young ones, which uh, regular listeners might know is one of my great loves. And of course, we talked a lot about Metallica. He described Master of Puppets as a perfect heavy metal album. He summed up Metallica as our Led Zeppelin, Beatles, and Black Sabbath all rolled into one. We talked about Headbangers Ball, Megadeth's Peace Cells, Slayers, Rain and Blood, Anthrax, the reception and kind of the feeling around the Black Album when it hit, his contribution to the Metallica Blacklist album, Miley Cyrus kind of spilling the beans (laughs) uh, as they were keeping a lid on that announcement. And we talked about the great late Joey Jordison stepping in for Lars Ulrich at a festival in Europe and uh, Corey and the late Paul Gray and Clown getting to stand right behind Joey and watch that performance, which was just phenomenal. We talk about all of that. It's a super fun conversation. If you check out the Speak and Destroy Patreon, I'm going to make a free public post collecting a lot of Corey Taylor Metallica adjacent material including uh, what's some great basically drum cam footage because it's right behind him of joey doing that performance with metallica uh some of the times Corey has covered metallica songs over the years i'll just put a bunch of stuff into a single post and again that will be public the speaking destroy patreon you do not have to join the patreon or pay any money to read it Although that would be nice because that does help the podcast and uh, I am trying to get more material on that thing going forward. The other great ways you can support this podcast if you enjoy it is to leave a five-star rating and write a nice review, an Apple Podcasts, or whatever your preferred podcast platform of choice might be. You can follow the podcast on social media. You can go to speakingdestroy.com and you can follow me on social media and keep track of what I'm up to and what I'm working on at ryanjdowney.com. So here it is, my conversation with Corey Taylor of Slipknot, presented by my friends at notfest.com. This is Speak and Destroy. We're both 1973. Right. Is, uh, I don't know if you've come across this before, but it's apparently called the baby bust. There's the baby boom and the baby bust. Apparently there were 
less of us being born in 1973 than <laughs> prior and after, which is why if you've noticed in life, the people we tend to meet are either like a year or two older than us or a year or two younger than us. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a stopgap in the, in the generations. Basically yeah. we're kind of a Midland mix of X and whatever. I think, well, no, I think we're firmly in, we're pretty firmly generation X. Yeah. But like, we also relate to like people like like a couple years younger than we are more than we relate to the people who are a little older than we are, which Absolutely. is, which is really weird. You know, like we tend to be a little younger for our age. Uh, yeah. And uh, even though we understand the restrictions and uh, the, the chains of maturity and whatnot, we also embrace, like, we were just lucky, man. Like we had so many rad things at the right time mm-hmm. for our age and we lived through so many different changes that now you throw a change at us and we're just like, all right, whatever. Yeah, we'll fuck, we'll roll with this. You know, yeah. so it's, it's an interesting age, man. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because we were alleged to be the slackers. And yet, huh. people that I know in our generation and specifically that year, even uh, Dave Chappelle was another 1973 person. It's like, we're all hustlers, you know? I mean, like, I mean, you have like a million bands, right. <laughs> for example. Yeah. 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 And I, I'm actually like getting rid of bands because like, <laughs> it's hard at this, at this age, it's hard to keep up with that shit, man. But it, yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know? And it, I think a lot of it has to do with the way we grow up as well. So that hustle come kind of comes from the grind of being put through hell mm-hmm. younger, really living hand to mouth. Uh, yeah. on the go, living out of cars, living on the street, you develop this sense of got to keep going, got to keep going, got to keep working, got to keep earning, got to keep doing new things, breaking things open and just going for it. You know, like I have this talk with my wife all the time. She's like, when are you going to retire? And I was like, that's kind of the great thing. It's like, I don't ever have to, you know, I can stop touring as much i can stop doing this and that and the other thing but i i'll never have to retire man i'll work this damn thing till the wheels come off so it's one of those things where i don't really have an end in sight and i think once i do stop that's when i will start to fade mentally yeah. not from yeah. people's like view or anything like that but just as on myself you know i've seen it a million times with people in my family who worked all the way up into their fucking late eighties, man. And I mean, like continuously, my grandmother worked two jobs, both for 20 plus years. I mean, she, she worked for 25 years at one retired, got bored after a year, went back to work at another place and worked there for 22. Yeah. And she was sharp as a tack right up until the time when she uh, was forced to quit because of her health. And then that's when it really started to go downhill. You know, it's yeah. that thing where as long as we're engaged, we're going to be okay. But the second we stop, that's when this horse starts to go, you know, to pot, basically. I wonder how much of that is the Midwest, too, because I am grew right. up in Indiana. Right. And my dad just turned 82 this month. And he retired, like, you know, years ago. And immediately started working again. And he's right. still working now at 82 just because he wants to. He, d- he delivers medical supplies. So he's like oh, God driving all over the Man. Midwest at 82. Yeah, yeah. listening to books <laughs> on tape and stuff, you know. Right. <laughs> same thing. It's like he just can't quit, you know. Right. And you're right. No, it's a very Midwest thing, man. That stoic got to work, you know. I mean, you're, you're kind of taught that from an early age. It's like, guess what? You're going to have to work for a living. Yeah. And that's fine, you know. And it's great because it's the best of both worlds. You're, you're instilled with that attitude of, you know, work, work, work. But then we have the other side of it is like, we get to do what we love, you know? So it's like, so those two things combined really have been the catalyst for all of this, man. Yeah. Combining that work ethic with creating a job that doesn't feel so much like a job and putting the two of them together. Yeah. That's, that's been the key for sure. So I know in seeing a list of your favorite formative records from back in the day, 
we have a lot of overlaps there. I know I got, I love seeing you in the Anthrax 40 year anniversary yeah. documentary series, which is, I mean, it's insane. Anthrax is 40 years in, Metallica is 40 years in this right. year. And to think about, uh, I know two of the records on your list are Peace Cells and Master of Puppets. Right. Both of those being the same year. I mean, it's insane. Rain and Blood was that year. Yeah, I think Among the Living was the year after. Yeah, it came out the year after. So it was a great two years for yeah. we're into metal. Yeah. Fuck. It was like the that was the sounding gun for a whole new generation of psychos because those bands appealed to so many different uh I don't want to say clicks, but so many different crowds, man. Yeah. Like the punk kids loved them. The metal kids worshipped them. Um, it was still too underground for the straights, quote unquote, the straight, yeah. you know. The normies. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> but even the alternative kids dug it because there was enough, there was so much ferocity in it. And there was just something different, man. Like it was, it felt, felt heavier than Sabbath and heavier than Deep Purple. And but those were the bands that fueled these bands man yeah you know? it's like between that and then you could feel that undercurrent of the hardcore scene you know the punk scene the hardcore scene the stuff that we as skater kids were listening to as well as like you know the hip-hop and whatnot so this was like this burgeoning explosion of attitude uh fast music just in your face and we just knew as soon as the as soon as our parents heard it, they hated it, which made us love it even more. You know, like nothing is better than listening to something that scares the hell out of adults. And that's, you know, and, and from that second on, I mean, Master of Puppets is, is like the perfect heavy metal album. Like there's just it's there's no fat. It's just I mean, you can put it on and listen to the only bad thing I can say is that it's too short you know like it's just <laughs> yeah. it's just like it before you know it it's over and you're like wait a minute and you gotta start it over again man yeah so, so it's crazy man it's just it's just a beautiful beautiful album I remember Rain and Blood was so short that the whole album fit on both sides of the tape both sides of the tape <laughs> we I always thought it was an EP because of that man I was like wait a minute it's just a, wait, this is the whole album what the hell man yeah I, yeah, I had one of those boom boxes with the auto thing, so it would always just oh, yeah, flip over. Flip. So it just goes yeah, forever. Man. Yeah. Ooh, look <laughs> at you with your rich yeah. boom box. Fancy, very fancy. I was missing to, some buttons. You know, I still had the hard eject on mine, man. So I'd hit it and then shoot the damn thing across. The, I'll have to go get it. <laughs> <laughs> I actually discovered metal, like thrash metal, via P-Cells. You know, okay. I was as a little kid into punk rock and stuff like that. I had a friend who bought Peace Cells. He was like a hair metal dude. And he thought it was going to be like hair metal based on the band right. photo. Right. And then heard it and was like, what the hell is this? Gave it to me just to get rid of it. And it was like lightning bolt, you know, like my whole life changes in that moment. Right. And then right. I made it my mission to, you know, I'm writing down the bands and the thanks list. And then I found out that Mustaine used to be in Metallica. And then I checked out Metallica and then it was just like... Right, right, what, right. What was right. your sort of entrance into these bands and that era and specifically how it then led you to Metallica? Mine was the exact opposite. I had some friends of the Schmidt brothers who I hung out with in Waterloo, Iowa. They were my gateway into everything heavy, man. Like, like we were all, we all hung out and, you know, right, right before we discovered all that stuff, man, we were listening to, obviously we were listening to Maiden. Um, but we were also listening to like Aerosmith and we were all like breakdance kids. So we were listening to like all the street uh, hip hop and stuff. Um, and I remember it was like a couple of years later that I went to their house and they were like, you need to listen to this. And it was Master of Puppets and they started it. And I just was blown away. I, I mean, just like I was sitting there and through Metallica, we discovered Megadeth because it's like oh this was the ex-guitar player yeah from from Metallica you know and we didn't listen to, to Killing is my business we went right to Peace Cells because that had just come out mm -hmm. we I can remember being so blown away 
by the riffs and just the creativity of the riffs, man. Like it's like I'd never heard stuff like that before. And it never had since. Like, like that, that co-mingling of uh the guitar work and the way they were playing, and just like it just sounded so rad. And I mean, it was a clinic, it was a goddamn riff clinic, man. Like you could sit yeah. down, like everything you needed to know about thrash was right on that album you know what i'm saying it was like whereas whereas metallica's the songs were so complete mm -hmm. megadeth was so much more almost intricate in a way oh and yeah. Really yeah so interesting you know so you were just like holy sh whoa i mean dude the riffs and wake up dead alone are like people should study those like they're just so fucking rad you know yeah yeah. And then that same breath, I can remember going to my house, going over to their house, and they had just bought Rain and Blood, and said they put on Angel of Death, and I had never heard anything like it in my life. And Shay and Eric stood up on the chairs in their living room, and I'm sitting on the couch below them, like this, and they're like, they, it gets to the 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 one of the heaviest riffs of all time that breakdown that and they just just started screaming the lyrics at each other it's like puppet ruins inside your brain like above me and i was just like what is fucking happening right now and it was just so crazy and we just studied that thing like the Sapruder film, man. We just couldn't get our heads out <laughs> of it. Back and to the left. The double right. Oh, dude. Yeah. It was fucking and then Lombardo, I was just like, he's doing that with his feet. I, I didn't what even know those, those were drums. The first yeah. time I, I was like, what is this insane sound happening? It was like, who's, how is this happening? Like, <laughs> dude, it's crazy. So the Schmidt house was where my love for thrash metal really started man like i heard everything fucking crazy in that house that's so great it's so great to have that uh you know those people in your life who are like oracles without even realizing like they're they're setting you on these different pathways just the convergence of events you know Dude, it changed it changed my life man it, it changed it it changed how i felt about music because i always up until that point it's like i loved music but i really didn't have anything that felt like it was mine like i was like it was almost yeah. like it was borrowing music because it was all older um and as much as i loved it i didn't identify with it i had so much fucking hatred in my heart and darkness that it wasn't until i discovered these bands this music yeah. that i really was just like finally this feels like it's mine you know yeah. this feels like it's for for me it's not just for you know my you know the older generation or whatever or for a whole other culture that i didn't understand but i'd love to listen to it like this felt like it was for me you yeah. know it was a hell yeah. of a moment yeah man and it felt like a place to gives me goosebumps it felt like a place to park those emotions you're describing right. Yeah. It's like I, you didn't have any like where was it gonna go? Where's now the place? How do I release this pressure, man? Yeah, like we could. Well, I mean, I can remember fucking. We'd just be hanging out and listening to that music, and then we would just go run the streets as <laughs> yeah. fast as we could. Like nowhere really to go. We would just go yeah. fucking screaming into the night. You know, like it was. It was so liberating that yeah. you just you didn't know you didn't know what to do, but you knew the secrets were in the music. You know. Yeah. And it made you an, a part of a, from, for me, it made me go from feeling totally alone to feeling connected to something, you know, cause that right. was still an era where you could go to the mall. And if I saw somebody in an Exodus t-shirt, it's like, Oh, we're best friends. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like immediately. Exactly, man. It was the year of tr uh, tape trading. It was, uh, you know, underground magazines. It was, um, you know, a fucking headbangers ball, dude. My yeah. house was always ground zero for headbangers ball because we stole cable. Like I lived in a trailer <laughs> and we had like jumper cabled it up. I'm not really yeah. sure to this day, but I was like one of the few dudes who had cable. So Saturday night from midnight to two or however long it was, I can't remember, 
that was where we stayed, man. We would get wasted and we would just watch Headbangers Ball. And we learned so many different bands by yeah. doing that, man. It was like, it changed our lives. Yeah. You know, and as much as, as uh, MTV is, is uh, some, often justifiably mocked, uh, <laughs> you know, when I think about, you know, the first time I saw KRS-One was on your MTV Raps. Right, right, you right. Know, the, the first time I saw some thrash bands were like, Headbangers Ball would always play, it was three hours long, and they'd do like three or four thrash bands per hour. You right. know, so I'd be all about taping it on VHS and then like fast forwarding through the hair metal to get to like right. Testament, you know, and, <laughs> uh, and dude, the, a big formative thing for me, the first time I saw Motorhead was on the Young Ones, which right. MTV used to show. Yeah. And like, without realizing it at the time as a little kid that show was informing like my sense of humor my taste about things you know and it was just this some random thing that mtv grabbed from the uk you know and it was cool because it, it, they had that big hour it was monty python the young ones and then the comic strip which was yeah. people from the young ones doing yeah. like different skits and that's where bad news came from they're the band that they started and then they ended up putting out a, an album as Bad News, which yeah. is fucking hilarious. It's so, so amazing. Like, I I loved that show. You got to see not only Motorhead, but The Damned were on there. Yeah. Um, God, uh, Dexy's Midnight Runners doing a cover of Van Morrison. Like, yeah. I, I, I remember every every band, every, yeah, Madness, they were on there twice. They That's did right. Fun yeah. And Our House. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. And, a, and that show was only it. two seasons. Yeah. <laughs> and, those and they, and they, they're the ones who stopped it. Like they didn't get canceled. They yeah. just stopped the show on their own. And it was just like, like we want more. Like what the hell? Yeah. yeah. I wonder, I would love to, I've, I've, I've actually interviewed Ricky Gervais before. If I get an opportunity to do it again, I should ask him if the young ones were an influence on that. Cause he always does the like two and done two right. and done well, that's a shows. very british that's a very british thing like they're they're much more into quality than they are into quantity because if you think about it python only did three seasons yeah yeah i, I thought mean, about they, that before yeah. they went on to do other things but if you look at i mean it was very much about okay we've 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 done everything creatively here let's do this now let's take this same kind of team and do this yeah. they're they're very very uh very known for like short runs man i i it's very rare that a british show runs for unless it's something like a soap opera or yeah. something like like coronation street has been going on for years <laughs> right. technically is like an evening soap opera you know yeah but that's a different side of the culture when it comes to comedy even the it crowd didn't run that or the it crowd or whatever they didn't yeah, run that i've never thought about that man that's a really insightful point because yeah because i've known that about gervais and the young ones i just yeah just have known that but i've never connected all these dots i think i think you're onto something big time yeah. and, it, and it's you know whereas in america we'll wear something out and get squeezed and every think, last drop of it and i think that's why the the british versions of whether it's even something that the americans have copped or if it's just an original that's why i think those stay they stay very relevant and very poignant and very funny because they do it in this small window and then they get out you know they don't milk it to death they don't pound it into the ground now there may there may be some exceptions but at the same time, it's 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 very it's very interesting that they strike while the iron's hot and then they get away from it. Yeah. And you know what? That probably allows us to absorb it and retain it much better, because right. I remember like just about every bit from the young ones. And it's like because there's only so many you know? right. so exactly. watching the I same episode. buying them on VHS. And then buying them on DVD, and then I yeah. just rebought them on Blu-ray. Uh, yeah, I bought, dude. I I bought them whenever that small window where we would buy things from iTunes, like right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I bought them on. I it's like oh, one of the only yeah. things I have on like a hard drive TV show wise from that. <laughs> oh, dude, so killer. So uh, Metallica. You know, I always say if aliens show up and ask uh, what is Metallica, that the song "Master of Puppets" is the first thing you play. Because yeah. that's like everything about Metallica, I think, is encompassed in that song. Yeah, it's got everything. I mean, it's got 
it, it's it's got riffs that we all tried to learn how to play and then you know when we eventually learned the proper way to play it it took us yeah. forever to to adjust you know it's yeah. like but it's got the it's got the breakdown in the middle it's got, got the amazing melody um it, it's it's a it's a journey it's it's an opus you know like it's it's you're absolutely right. It represents everything that we loved about Metallica, especially in that moment, man. Yeah. Like they were they were the best fucking band in the entire fucking world. And we were the only ones who knew it. You know, mm -hmm. we as fans, like they hadn't blown up yet, you know, they hadn't been taken. And you know, and, and you know, obviously their career has gone in so many different tra trajectories, but for so long they were our little secret. They were ours and they yeah. fucking, yeah. and we, we worshiped them. They could do no wrong. I can remember reading certain comics because they read them. I can remember skating on certain skateboards because they skated on them. I can remember yeah, listening yeah. to certain bands because they listened to them. Like it was a fucking, it was a cult for a second, man. You know, like Indeed. it was like, that's how much they meant to us, you yeah. know? So it was it was cool to be a part of that. It was cool to meet other people, like you said, who got it and immediately understood it because it immediately opened up a conversation and it would take you into a million other different uh, stratospheres, you know, learning about Exodus because that's where Kirk came from. Yes. You know? Like, yeah, it just just learning about all these different bands just because of that one band, you know, like it was such a fucking amazing amalgam of creativity and expression that, you know, Metallica, that song would, if you play that for anyone, no matter what time, but you could play that for someone today and who's never heard metal or whatever, who's just listening to pop music and it will change the way they look at music. I mean, to this day, that, I mean, that's how poignant it is. Yeah. And the way, yeah. And the way that they always would, would share with the audience, the stuff they loved, like past, present, right. you know? Yeah. Like you were saying, I mean, I, you know, the misfits that's Danzig, Sam Hain, you know, all that I, I discovered because of their t-shirts, like right. nothing else, exactly. you know? Yeah. It's like, who the fuck is that band? You know, like they, Everything they wore on stage, you'd just be like, oh, that's got to be something fucking cool. Let's go yeah. try and find what that is, you know? Yeah. And I love not to make, not to put you on the spot or make you feel awkward, but so many things we're talking about, I think Slipknot is the spiritual successor in terms of those kids that were like, we were, and how you feel. And then you discover this thing where you're like, oh, here it is, you know? Um, and yeah, the way yeah. that, you know, you are always, uh, taking bands on tour and introducing, you know, your audience to different things. And, um, you know, I think I, I feel like Slipknot is an example of a, a, you know, big established band that learned the right lessons from Metallica. If that makes sense about like, no, I, I appreciate that. This, I, I, you know? I've never really, I've never tried to put it in that perspective, but I mean, you're right. I mean, we've always really strove to bring out, not only bands that we like, but bands that we feel like the audience would like, you know, mm -hmm. really have tried to change it up. We've always worn our influences on our sleeves, even when sometimes it's, it's almost indiscernible in the music that we're making. Right. Always been very upfront about the fact that we all come from such, such a vast different background that all of those tastes collided to create what we were doing. So mm -hmm but we had enough in common that that was the common denominator that helped us, you know, really, you know, make this music. So I, I guess, you know, you're, you're absolutely right in a lot of ways that we were, we ended up being the ones to kind of pass that forward and mm -hmm. try to encourage other band or other fans to really check other things out, you know? Yeah. And you also, uh, you know, cause what you just described also describes them right? Where there are these four very right. unique personalities. You have this like right. worldly Lars, you know, and brought the new wave of British heavy metal here. And then you have Kirk's background, all the stuff he's into and horror movies and whatever. And obviously Hatfield. And it's like, 
you know, Slipknot has that same thing where there are very identifiable personalities within the group that stand out right. as individuals and yet come together as a group in a special way. And we make things you overlap. Which is bigger than all of us. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's something that we've always really tried to strive for is that outside of the group, we're all, you know, we're all kind of doing our own thing. We all do our own thing. But in the group, we really try to complement the music and do yeah. everything we can for the music. And that mentality trans transposes over to the live show, the the art, the look, the vibe. I mean, everything. So yeah, you're right. I mean, it's in the collective, we make sure that the band stands out and not just one of us, you know, and we've yeah. always tried to strive yeah. to be that, you know. Yeah, or the, the, I mean, and you're also what I describe, and there's, you know, maybe, I don't know, 10 bands that you can describe this way as like a lifestyle band where like, right. if you're a Slipknot fan, like that's your lifestyle. You know what I mean? Like, right. not just like, oh, I like that band. It's like, this is my, this is my life. The way right. that like these bands we're talking one about. One of those bands that you fight for. You yes. Know? Like you get fights about. And, yeah. and that's, that's great. I mean, that's kind of what we wanted to be from day one was we didn't expect this level of success. I've said it since day one. It's like, we would have been happy to sell, you know, a couple hundred thousand albums and just be able to tour, you know, like, and yeah. just really build this thing. Cause at the time, at the time, going back 20 years, that would have been a big thing, you know, for an underground band like us, you know, absolutely. We exceeded not only our own expectations, but everybody's. So. Everyone. And much like Metallica, you know, I, I had um, Dee Snyder on my Metallica podcast just a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about, you know, Metallica opening for Twisted Sister. And he's very honest yeah. about standing next to Mark Mendoza and going, hey, these guys got a lot of heart, but this ain't going anywhere. You know, like this right. band's never going to make <laughs> right. it. And Slipknot right. had that same thing where it's like, uh, you know, I remember hearing the first Slipknot record and being like, this is insane. Like, this, and it just it didn't occur to me that it'd ever be mainstream in any way quote unquote you know right. what i mean that it would be like platinum records it was too insane you know and uh metallica had that same thing so yeah. when you when you were starting out playing early on uh what was metallica in your and i want to get to you know covers that you've done that we've that we've seen right but as a right. kid were there like metallica covers happening in those early jams and everything uh, with Metallica, I mean, or with with Slipknot. Well, in mean, with just you personally, like starting out in band. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, one of the first songs that I ever learned how to play on guitar was M Sandman. You know, and I think it was because that was kind of our generation's Stairway to Heaven. Really. Yeah, dude. Like it was the Smoke in the Water. It's one of those riffs. That, it's one riff for the whole song. <laughs> it's, well, it's not only that. I like to call it the Guitar Center uh, virus. Yeah. Like anybody who comes in is either playing Sandman, uh, Crazy Train, uh, Smoke on the Water, yeah. or um, or Stairway, or Stairway. something like that, or a whole lot of love because that's, that's a like little, the, the Wayne's World trick, joke, right? But, the, right the, yeah. The, wait, yeah the no stairway like yeah if that movie had come out like exactly. two years later it'd be no sandman right. exactly <laughs> it'd be like absolutely no sandman <laughs> so it's like you know you, you have those gateway riffs where you go huh i figured it out you know so i was i i sat down one day as i got better at guitar and i just started listening to i went back and listened to like the, the first four uh metallic albums and just started woodshedding and learning all these riffs, you know? And uh, I, it, it became a sort of language that you could speak to other musicians, man. Mm. Like when you were jamming for the first time, if, if you started playing, like if you like kicked into Blitzkrieg or something, or if you kicked into uh, uh, Ride the Lightning, you know, and just start <laughs> if they kicked in with you, you knew you were off to the races because you don't just learn that riff. You learn the whole tune and you yeah. just go for it, you know? Yeah. So it was a, it was a ride, almost like a ride of fat, like a, uh, an initiation in a weird way. Like you just yeah. like, you, you knew how to do it. So I've played, 
uh, Metallica in almost every band that I've been in. Like, it's always just been there, you know? And uh, I mean, from my first sort of real band, Criminal Mischief, all the way up to my solo band, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I know you did solo. And I, I you know, I remember Stone Sour did Creeping Death. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's that, that's such a great point, man. I never thought about that. Like, you don't just learn a Metallica riff, you learn the song. Whereas if you're if, right. if you're smoke on the water, you know, bam, 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 you might just know that riff and not even know how right. this whole song and goes. You, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have to sit down and really listen to the song and realize that there's like a whole. I mean, it's not just that riff. Like, you can't just sing the song over the top of that riff. It doesn't work. You know, it's yeah. weird. Yeah, but if you but if you put on a guitar and you start playing "Creeping Death," like you're gonna play the whole thing probably, <laughs> or at least you're gonna know the exactly. whole. Thing. Yeah, exactly. that's amazing. Uh, so the first opportunity that Slipknot had to play with Metallica, I believe, and please correct me if I'm wrong, was 2004, right? Metallica, Lost Profits. No, actually, before before that, we did one show with them in at Giant Stadium on Tattoo the Earth. Oh, Tattoo and the was, Earth. Wow, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was. I, I want to say it was the last big show at that Giant Stadium before they tore it down. Wow. And uh, yeah, it was it was the first time we met them. Newstead was still in the band. So this was 2000. It was 2000, actually. Right towards the um, end of Newstead then, too. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. It was, we were just kind of coming to the end of that cycle with uh, on the first album. So we had already kind of built this thing. We'd gotten to the point where nobody wanted to take us out. So <laughs> right. we had just started, yeah, I mean, yeah. they we stopped getting offers so we were like all right i guess yeah. we're just going to do this on our own you know yeah and and i'm glad we did because we went from zero to holy shit like very quick you know so we were touring that and it was our first kind of real taste of working our own festival even though it was yeah. a one and done it was yeah. interesting enough that we were attracting enough people especially with having slayer on it um seven dust like all these other bands that were really amazing it was a really good time but there were a couple of uh markets where we had a headliner above us one of which was new york and it was metallica they were wow. doing a, a, and that's how we were able to get into giant stadium and oh. i can remember meeting we we all got to meet uh james and jason like before the show and we we went in and we stole all their beer because we were <laughs> we didn't get we didn't have any real writer like we were headlining yeah. but we didn't we weren't making any money well man. this is like, like what festival promoters will tell you like if metallica's right. playing your festival it's now a metallica show <laughs> exactly yeah so we were hanging out they wanted to meet us they were like what they wanted to hang out and they were talking to us and shit and we just we were so blown away that we were just in the same room with them right that we I, I think we just got nervous and we were like and they had a whole fridge full of corona and we we're like can we can we have some of those and they're like yeah help yourself and we took all of them and we just started slamming them as fast as we could and they were just watching us like <laughs> it was a very surreal moment but they were very very cool to us um and i you know i'm not really sure if they realized that you know we would do more stuff with them down the road and whatnot yeah. but then being picked being picked to support them on that tour in europe um in what 2004 I think that's the one i'm thinking of right because lost profits so, yeah that was, it was on volume three yeah. And we were kind of rebuilding because we had had this massive falling out with our old manager mm -hmm. and he'd kind of built us for a lot of shit. So we were kind of starting from scratch on that album. People don't realize that, man. I mean, we, we went from playing arenas on Iowa to having to start in clubs again on volume three, just to rebuild relationships with promoters and truck companies and whatnot. Because yeah, that is kind of like some slipknot hidden history because people yeah, who don't yeah. know your longtime manager now that you've had since way back then 
was what like product manager or something before that, right? On the first product manager, he worked. He worked at Roadrunner, and he's actually the one who helped break us. Um, Corey Brennan, who yeah, yeah, he's the first time I ever saw Corey was on Howard Stern, right? (laughs) When he came on fighting for Slipknot, like we're talking about, you fight for these bands you love, right? Yeah, Yeah. It it was great. It was really cool, and he's been with us since day one. So he's one of the few people that we trust because of the prior you know, shit that went down, you know? So to get picked for that, man, you know, we had no idea and we had no idea if the Metallica fans would actually embrace us, you know? I mean, opening for Metallica is a lot like opening for Slayer, man. Like you are either going to win them over or you're not, you know? And yeah, luckily we had been in that, we had been in that situation enough times with Slayer to realize that, you either go in hot or you're going to get knocked the hell out. So we yeah. just took and ran with it, you know, and we had such a great time. They came and, and talked to us like almost every show. Um, and then at the end, like the last show of the tour, I want to say it was in Prague. We were doing our, uh, the, the sit down part on spit it out. And here comes all of Metallica, all of their crew and they're all in masks and they all come <laughs> out. It was amazing, dude. It was so cool. Lars immediately jumped up on Clown's kit and just started playing percussion, right? And Joey's playing, and we're like looking at each other, going, Holy shit, is this really happening? And the whole audience got down, and then we jumped, everybody jumped up. It's actually on the uh, uh, Voluminal, the, the DVD. Oh, okay. Yeah, on, I was going to say, this is like a year before YouTube, so it's not like something right. everyone sees the next night. Exactly. You know? Yeah, you yeah. Can see it. You can see it on Voluminal. I believe it's been uploaded to, to YouTube. I'm sure by now, yeah. It was, I mean, what people don't realize is that we came off stage and they were there and they were like, that was one of the coolest things we've ever been a part of. And for us, I mean, that the only thing we can even say is that it's the equivalent of being knighted if you're british you know like it just felt so rad you know it was crazy dude but yeah i mean and we've been you know pretty close ever since you know yeah well and 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 since we're talking about that era too um i know i can't keep you forever but uh you you know we mentioned dave lombardo we're talking about lombardo rain and blood you know the one for all the times that metallica has has uh has played with guests and whatever very rarely is there a a a drummer that sits in and then there's the download festival where lars couldn't make it the band was going to soldier on and i think for them you know lombardo's like one of their peers right like he's you know he's been around as long as them and whatever and i actually had lombardo on my metallica podcast and he was telling me he's like yeah i i love metallica I, i wanted to help him out he's like but i only knew the old stuff He's like, I, right. he's like, I couldn't, I didn't know any songs from like the black album, you know, he's like, so there's only so much I can do. And then, you know, as fate would have it, we have a massive Metallica fan who like you and me knows all these songs, like the back of our hand, right. Yeah. And Joey, yeah. who, um, yeah. without, without knowing the inside scoop, I feel like as a fan watching it, you can almost sort of see Hetfield as soon as Joey starts kind of like, Oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, this, be okay. is, this is going to be pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. This is going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and man, oh. I have watched, you know, easily a half a dozen times. Somebody uploaded, speaking of YouTube, it's like a fan filmed, but it's right behind Joey. So it's almost like one of those yeah. drum videos. It's one camera, but uh-huh. dude, just watching him like blitz through those songs and, and you can, you can feel how stoked he is and you can feel yeah, that. Yeah sense of relief with the band where they're like oh we're gonna get through this show um we were re- we were back there with him watching it i think it that was, was my question people. where were you and how did all this go down and you know it was one of our people filming him that video okay. is that's the video i've seen him. yeah yeah and i can't t- dude it's so it was so surreal to watch joey playing with them because we all grew up listening to them you know of course. and joey was shitting bricks dude like he was like i mean he's got his mask on but every time he'd come back and he would pull his mask off and he would just be like how am i doing how am i doing and i'm like you're fucking killing it it was me paul clown like we were all standing there like fucking cheering him on 
and they ended up throwing different songs at him that they that hadn't, hadn't rehearsed. Yeah, oh, man, shit. like they threw, like threw all the misfit shit at him, and he fucking knew it, and they just went. And I mean, they'd have probably kept him up there all night if they could have. I mean, he played the majority of the set, so I mean, that to me was such a fucking amazing moment for him that it was cool to be back there sharing that with him. You know, like yeah. it, was, it was a special. It was a, it was a special little fucking almost like that's the moment you know you've made it it's like you're yeah. seeing this reflection of respect from arguably your biggest influence your biggest peer you know like of like i mean of everything like that them signing off on you like that had to have been fucking massive for him you know and i remember him telling me he was like it was such a blur that he he only he didn't really remember anything until he watched the video back you know like and he's right i mean that shit can go by like that because you're so fucking into it yeah i would imagine it's like running a marathon or something where you're like you're just getting through it (laughs) you know yeah and it feels like as a fan of both bands like um you know being about the same age as you guys and metallica being like you know 10 years or so older than us it was a moment of like a rival for like our whole, I don't know. You know what I mean? It was kind of like they're yeah. here's our heroes recognizing like right. what they've spawned sort of enough to get too grandstanding about it, you know, but it was like, it no, felt no, like right. and him being in the mask, like really drove that home so much more than if he hadn't been. Cause it's like, there's, right. exactly. there's Slipknot like in Metallica, you know, like, cause yeah. he's kind of representing all of you by being in the yeah. mask. Yeah. You know, it was it was cool, man. Like they, I don't I don't know if they ex- they expected it, but he fucking went in there and he showed, like not only the band but all of their fans, yes. just the level of not only the level of res- respect that we have for them and the music, but that we could hold our own, you know. And I think that was a big yes. it was a big moment. It was a big part of that. That's exactly why I think it's such an important moment. Um, exactly how you put it, because Lombardo's like what we would expect. It's like, well, of course, Lombardo's one of the greatest drummers of all time. He's right. one of their buddies. Exactly. I, I feel like without even necessarily meaning to Joey and Slipknot as a whole prove something, like you said, like holding your right. own, like, oh, we're not just, you know, we're, yeah, it's, it's such an amazing moment for that reason. And to see that, yes. Please say thanks to your friend who filmed, who did the filming because <laughs> having that with drum cam footage is just like, you know, chef's kiss. It was one of the first things I watched the other day, honestly. Um, yeah. You know, went back and wanted to watch when it was like, when I'm watching stuff, like right. I wanted to see that again. Um, so last, last couple of things, um, the black album, which we barely even talked about, you know, biggest album of the sound scan era, uh right. so many hits you know i remember when they did the you know everybody does the thing where you celebrate an album you play it start to finish they played the black album backwards because it's like if you do that all the hits are at the end of the set and you're still in it right. finishing with inner sandman another right. brilliant yeah. you know lars the set list master um what do you remember about the black album and kind of its impact and its arrival because for me you know like you were talking about how metallica was ours And, you know, another unique thing about our age is that the Black Album hit when I was a junior in high school and Nevermind hit when I was a senior in high school. And it was such a weird moment at the end of the high school years to all of a sudden jocks and cheerleaders are into Metallica and then they were like into punk the next year. Like it was weird. And you're just like... Yeah. I also remember kids talking to me that hadn't talked to me since elementary school. Because they're like, oh, wait, he knows about this stuff. <laughs> you know, I can. It was, it was, it was a very strange couple of years um, because not only did you have that, but you had Alice in Chains. Yeah. Kind of that, that gap. They were like the stopgap band, you know, like they had opened for the Clash of the Titans tour. <laughs> they went and, you know, they took that and they went and opened for Van Halen for quite a while. And then I think that experience was the experience that influenced them to make Dirt because mm. it's two such polar opposite albums, you know? Yeah. That's a whole other fucking podcast, though. Yeah. For me, 
I was so shocked by the Black Album at first. You know, obviously, I was one of those kids that I was expecting something more like "And Justice for All." You know, and I can remember listening to Sandman because it was fucking everywhere. I can remember everywhere. we waited and taped it off of the radio uh, on uh, KGGO played it, which was the biggest radio station in town, but it was the oldie station. And we couldn't believe they were going to fucking play Metallica. They're going to play what? They're going to play Metallica? And they were going to play it at three o'clock. So we had our tapes, you know, our tape fucking players ready. And we taped it. I remember we drove around and we must have listened to that thing. We wore the tapes out. It was like when you had the record and pause on right. at the same time Absolutely. and then unpause. And so yeah, unpause to get that clear. You don't get the pop in there. <laughs> yeah. It's a it's a clean break and then done. And yeah, just because and you're hoping that they don't talk at the end of the yeah. fucking he's like, God damn it, you ruined it. <laughs> um it was it was crazy, dude. Like that in retrospect, it we were blown away by this by the single, but we were expecting more from the album, you know, and it has grown on me over the years um, to the point where I can listen to it now. And I appreciate that album just as much as I appreciate the first four albums. Yeah. You know, same. Like it was, yeah, it was just, it, it was just, you could see the evolution, you know, and maybe that's maturity, you know, cause we were young and we were fucking dicks, you know, mm -hmm. back then. So this doesn't sound like fucking creepy death, you know, or anything yeah. like that. It was, you know, it was one of those things where it was different and we didn't know how to feel about different at the time, especially for a band like this. And then the more, the more attention they got, the less they felt like ours, yeah. you know, like they were being taken, taken from us. And I think that's why, there was such an anti-Metallica thing for a while amongst us as metal fans. Like I never turned my back on them, but I definitely looked for other things, you know, yeah. because it just, it didn't, it, it didn't seem as, it didn't seem as special mm -hmm. and like, as like specifically ours, you know, um, but that was just me being a kid, you know, like for sure. I, they were, they were my, you know, they were one of my favorite bands. So I was going to judge them as such. And, uh, but it wasn't until I got a little older that I really went back and I started listening to that album again. And I was like, I was like, fuck man, this thing is really good. Like, uh, and not even the singles, because I mean, those singles got played ad nauseum, mm -hmm. you know, like they were fucking everywhere. Um, and I mean, Holier Than Now is my favorite song on that album. Struggle Within, Held Up. Um, I love Of uh, Wolf and Man. Man was, yeah, Wolf and Man is such a, it's such a great riff. And it's dude, like, when we Newstead like, was in the down. band and he's doing those backup vocals on Of Wolf and right. Man, it's just like, oh, yeah. Yeah, he's killing it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it was really, really cool. Um, I, it, and I think that once you put that in perspective with where they were going, it, yeah. it all makes sense. Like that was the missing piece, you know, like, and they fucking, they've earned every drop of their success, you know? Yeah. My retroactive viewpoint, because yeah, like you said, we were kids is that right. they were challenging us. And we, now I, that's something we, we, inv I personally invite from artists that I love. Like I want to be challenged by their stuff. You know, if I want to hear the old record, the old record's still there. Like challenge, mm -hmm. you know, keep your identity, but challenge me. And um, they were like the kings of that, you know, they've done that every step of the way and been like, you know, we could just stay the course and uh, play it safe, but we're going to like keep fucking with everyone, you know, and right. doing yeah, what we want, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. And it was like in the nineties, you know, they were, I feel like they continued to do that where it's like, right. yeah, they loved Alice in Chains. They loved Soundgarden. They went back to Thin right. Lizzy and Zeppelin and, and I remember one thing I would say to my friends in the 90s when people were like, oh, Metallica cut their hair. The first thing I'd always say would be, so did you. <laughs> so right. did I. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. like, we cut our hair too. Like, they're supposed to you be frozen, to look, you know? Yeah. You want to look like Uriah Heap? Like, I mean, what, what do you want? Like, what do you want from them? Like, this is, 
they're staying current with them, not only with themselves, but with, you know, the state of everything that was going on. And it's like that they shaved their heads or anything like that. I mean, (laughs) they had hair, you know, they just, they were a little more, I don't think we, that's the thing. We weren't used to seeing Metallica be so stylish. (laughs) I can remember watching the video for, um, uh, what was the first single off? Until it sleeps. Yes. I can remember watching that and, and just very, you know, full the army, just basically like, what the hell is going on here? You know, like they've got eyeliner and, like and even though I had loved bands that wore makeup and did this and did that, it was Metallica. It was so different than what I was used to. And then you realize it's like these are grown men, man. They're expanding. They're yeah. you know they've earned the right to be able to you know seek out other forms of creativity you know it doesn't mean i agree with it but i you know in retrospect i i respected it because now i've done that myself in my own career and you know sometimes you you win sometimes you lose you know but but i've never gotten the amount of scrutiny that slipknot or that uh you know metallica has it's you know imagine putting yourself under that you know that kind of you know uh uh, magnifying glass and how would you deal with it and i i thought they did pretty well absolutely and and yeah and when you're the biggest you're the most paid attention to one thing i always say about them is like even for different fans that abandon ship in different eras for whatever reason right. Right. every time they do something everyone's still paying attention everybody's you know, coming always, back my facebook feed is always like would you see this metallic you hear this metallica you, you know it's like right, it's still right. this universal like I, I I was never like a sports person and I realized at some point over the years, like, Oh, this is like people that love sports where they're like, right. The Chicago bears is my team, but like only in like 1980, whatever, when like this was the coach and this guy, you know, it's right. like, Oh, right. you love it. But they don't you don't care about the current team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You got your opinions right. though, but you still always love it. Um, exactly. So yeah, that was so that was the last thing I was going to ask you about. You mentioned uh, you went right to Holier Than Now as your favorite song from the Black Album, which yeah. explains why you chose that. Um, I think one of the things I was most impressed by, and I think this is something obviously you can relate to as prolific of an artist as you are, as someone who, you know, you and Clown and your whole team, how you run everything. And I was amazed by how secret Metallica was able to keep this Blacklist project considering how many high profile artists such as yourself are involved, how much everyone's on Instagram and whatever, you know, the fact that there right. wasn't some bass player in some band that was like, I'm in the studio doing this thing for Metallica. Like how, how was it presented to you? And I mean, is this like being in a Marvel movie where everyone's just like, you can't tell anyone what you're doing or is it just well, kind of understood that you won't? Well, it wasn't like that until Miley Cyrus almost blew it for all of us in her fucking Rolling Stone interview. You know, I mean, listen, I have a big mouth too, and I understand that. So does everybody, you know, yeah. Get away from you. But they told us right out of the gate, like deep, keep us on the down low. And then when she did that, they sent us fucking things that we had to sign like NDAs. And we're like, fine. I mean, it was just ridiculous. Like nobody can keep a fucking secret anymore, man. It's so stupid. Well, you know, Um, what's interesting about that is I remember it got spun pretty quickly into she was doing a whole Metallica album herself. And that became, you know, which, yeah, yeah, that shudder to think of that fucking thing, but (laughs) whatever. (laughs) Don't listen to me, fucking asshole. But I, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, listen not to i don't want to dogpile on that because no, of course that, it wasn't the point of that the point was that i was hit i mean the cool thing was was that i was considered in the first place you know yeah, like of course i was one of as one of those names that they they hit up and they were like would you be into doing it and the cool thing was was it it wasn't slipknot or stone sour like they reached out to me to do it mm-hmm. which to me, I, I would have jumped at either of those, but of the fact that they got to me to do it 
felt really cool. You know, like that made me yeah. feel really good about um, how they felt about what I've done, you know, with my career. So, I mean, obviously I was like, hell yeah. And I was like, if, if holier than now is still open, that's the one I want to do, you know? And, <laughs> and they were like, my... actually they're all still open. Cause there's 50 of you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I didn't realize that. It, I didn't realize it was that many bands yeah. doing it. And then I saw the list and I was like, well, this is quite a list to be a part of, you know? So yeah. not only to be asked to do something and then have them, they, they loved my version and included it on the, you know, the, the blacklist, <laughs> but then to see that I was, you know, on this list of all of these incredible names, man, that was a head trip in itself. Cause I didn't know anybody else who was on it besides Miley, you know? And, uh, it felt really cool to kind of get that recognition and to see myself put in that group, you know, and to know that I had done my little part to, to, you know, show respect and, and show my love for it. It was, it was rad. Yeah, man. That was the exact thing I was going to say was that the, it's awesome enough that they asked you to be part of it in any capacity. But then when you look at that list and you see how eclectic it is and how diverse yeah. it is and how like, you know, it's all these like high caliber, you know, it's everything from like pitchfork cred stuff to, you know what I mean? Like that, yeah. that it's not just the, like, if, you know, a metal magazine put it together or something and it would be kind of a predictable lineup of which that would be just as cool. There's plenty of that out there. That's cool. Well, there, and that really has happened, you know, like, you know? yeah, I mean, that's, that's happened in the past many times, you know, right. The cool thing about Metallica is that this shows just what an influence they've been globally at this point. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, you span so many different genres. Um, one of the first times I really hung out with them, this is this will put it all in perspective. I was backstage. This was 2002, so we were touring with Stone, touring with Stone Sour at the time, and Metallica was uh, um, was headlining these festivals. And um, oh, who's the who's the hip hop guy who did Pimp My Ride? Uh, Exhibit. Exhibit was on there as well. And one they he and one of his co MCs. We were sitting there talking with Metallica. It was me and the guys in Stone Sour. We were sitting talking Metallica, and Exhibit and one of his MCs came up, and they were so blown away that it was Metallica, man. Like they just, and they just wanted to say hi. And the guy stopped and like, like totally cool about it. And that's when I really saw just how, how much they've influenced so many people through so many different genres, man. I mean, and it was, and it felt cool because it's like, oh man, it wasn't just us. It was, it spoke to so many different people in so many different cultures, colors, uh, countries, I mean, everything. And that's what the blacklist really represents is something that I've, I saw 19 years ago and really made me love Metallica even more because of that. And I mean, it's to this day, I mean, they're, they are, our Led Zeppelin, Beatles, Black Sabbath, all rolled into one. And we were lucky enough to have them, you know, and we still have them. Yeah, man. Well said. Yeah, I always say Guns N' Roses is our Rolling Stones and Metallica is our everybody else. <laughs> yeah, and you're not wrong. You're absolutely not wrong. Uh, well, dude, thank you. And that was so well put. And you know what? And it also brings it full circle with the black album because like for all of our discomfort as teenagers of like this thing that's ours is now everybody's right now we can really look at it and see it and be like oh it's everybody's in a way that's so much more meaningful right than we could right. have understood them yeah know? yeah and it's cool because it it represented everything that we wanted for metallica but then when we got it like we didn't realize that it meant that they were going to belong to everybody remember who's sitting there goes god man i just wish Metallica was just would just rule the earth. I wish Metallica was the biggest right. thing on the fucking planet, right. and then they become that. And you're like, hey, what? You know, it was, 
<laughs> you know, it's like, be careful what you wish for. But you know yeah. what? At the same time, like, I wouldn't have wished it on a, a better band. I mean, exactly. they deserved all of it. And a band that's given back so much to everything right. that's coming there. You know, the whole idea of the big wave raising all ships, like, right. exactly. they're still doing that for all of right. us, you know? So, um, well, Corey, thank you so much for doing this, man. I've been super looking forward to it. I'm glad we're able to make it happen. Thanks for letting me part, let, letting me be part of this whole Knotfest thing. It's been a bunch of oh, fun. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I happen to be, you know, I do the the movie show um, every week, and I happen. It was literally like right when we got the news. I was going on minutes later, you know. So when there were a bunch of people checking out the stream, and um, we just spent the whole time, you know, watching a bunch of videos of Joey and. Yeah, doing the the behind the scenes when he was the Roadrunner team captain. There's yeah, like some really yeah. cool stuff from that, and um, yeah, it, it was just um, it felt like a responsibility to be even anywhere near uh, adjacent, connected to your camp, and and represent that day. So um, yeah, I was proud to do it. And uh, thanks, man. Hope to no talk worries. to you again soon. I appreciate that, man. Thank you.